You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Adrian Daniel. Adrian is a singer, songwriter, and producer who has over 150,000 monthly listeners on Spotify alone. Hailing from Brooklyn, New York, Adrian first took a serious interest in dance, which his mother encouraged, but it was his brother who eventually suggested that he pursue music. Now, by his own admission, Adrian didn't really take school seriously until late in his high school journey. But after buckling down and making up for lost time and credits, he opted to apply to one college and, once admitted, decided on a jazz concentration. But Adrian didn't remain in school. One conversation pushed him to return home to focus on his music career full time with the help of his mother, who took on the role of his manager. And of course, there were the usual bumps along the way that come with being an indie artist, but they found a stride, and Adrian now has a legion of loyal fans and even caught the attention of Madison Square Garden and Squarespace, who featured him in a virtual performance series known as MSG Uncovered. Adrian's creative process continues to evolve, and he has long-term plans for not only his music, but also his performance style. In the meantime, his latest EP, Midnight, is making waves and garnering rave reviews. So without further ado, here's his story. Adrian, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being. Thank you for being here. You've brought um, really calm energy to the show, which I like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, particularly after like when I do these in the evenings after a stressful day it's always a good a good bookend uh, after dealing with chaos during business hours yes yes um I like to you know but I don't know when I come home I'm I'm automatically at peace my home is very peaceful place so it's like when I walk in everything just kind of leaves with you know leaves at the door (laughs) good stuff all right so let's get into it we got a lot to discuss who is Adrian Daniel? Adrian Daniel, um, kid from Brooklyn, was born um, nineteen ninety, uh, from Brownsville, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I'm a singer, songwriter, producer, artist, architect in training now, um, and I just I like to, I love to create. I love and I I don't want to label Nice Ninety Records uh, with my partner Tony and. Um, I just love to create. I just, I love to be as, um, allow the world to tell me what it wants, it wants to say, you know, so. So I had no intention of starting here, but architect and training is not something that I expected to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, so tell me how that came about. Then we'll, then we'll go back to the beginning. <laughs> so in 2019, um, I have a friend of mine who, um, is an architect. Yeah, he, he's an architect for a living and, um, he, he's, a lot of the buildings in Dumbo and Brooklyn, he re- he did. And um, we were having a conversation. I was telling him how much I love architecture and um, interior design and how rooms are shaped. And he was like, you know, you should like give it a try. And then push come to shove, he like puts, like he recommends me for this class at Harvard. And so I get into the class and I do well. I, I get an A in the class. And then they're like, okay, now you got to start an internship. So then I interned all of summer 2019 up until um, maybe like the beginning of 2020. 
And that's what I did. And it was, um, I loved it, you know, and then it gave me a bug. So then I ended up uh, applying for um, architecture design at uh, Parsons and I got in. And but it was a really tough thing because, you know, with the music, it's, it takes up so much of my time. Um, so I've kind of had to, like, put that on hold um, until I had the time to actually do it. But I'm going to finish it. So, you know, now I'm like, you know, I've already did like some mock designs for the firm that I did uh, intern for. And so I'm just now I'm really like into it. So I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> Understood. So, you know, we, we talk um, a lot about the right side of the brain when dealing with creatives. And it's not often that you hear that people are really running on two tracks mm-hmm. um, and particularly someone who's building the traction that you are creatively. Right. It, it, it's one thing to have like 2000 streams and decide you want to study architecture. And it's another to really put up the numbers that you've put up yeah. um, and, and do that. So we can talk about like long term aspirations with respect to both career fields. Um, But take me back, like, what was Adrian Daniel, the creative, like as a child? Um, As a child, I was, I didn't want to do music, that's for sure. Um, As a child, I was, I was always just moving around. My mother put me in dance class because I couldn't sit still. And I would, uh, I would watch Michael Jackson on the TV all the time and just mimic what he, whatever he was doing. So um, she was like, okay, we're gonna put you in dance class. And so I was in dance since I was like six years old. Um, and then on the other hand, I had my godfather who was Lionel Hampton. And um, he, you know, great jazz musician. Um, and he would like force us when we used to go by his house to play the xylophone and learn that. So. That's why I didn't want to do music because I was I'm six and I have to learn a xylophone. I'm like I don't want to learn that, <laughs> so you know. And so that was my childhood where I kind of had those two um, artistic things. But music was never a choice for me. If dancing was like my entire life, I was. You know, I ended up teaching um, shortly at Ailey, um, and when I was like around like 19, mm. and I was like in like two professional companies um, and. And I was teaching at schools around New York and so and while going to college. So it was it was a lot, you know, and eventually uh, dance became a job um, and it didn't fulfill me anymore as far as like emotionally. Um, and music ended up being that thing because of my brother. He kind of was like, you should do music. And I was like. He was like, he had a whole studio set up. He had a whole, he had his mic. He had everything. He was rapping. He he used Reason, which is a terrible program, by the way. <laughs> um, but he used to use Reason. And he was like, you know, you got you got to come. You got to record something, you, you know, because he knew I could sing. And um, he pushed me to really, like, write. You know, I always write poetry, but he's like, you should really write. And that's kind of how it started for me. I was so bad at first, though. I was like terrible, you know. I I can't I can't even listen to anything from that time period. This makes me cringe all over. But um, I was like, okay, I gotta get better. So I went to I ended up shifting and going to college for music and mm. put myself in vocal lessons. You know, just wanted to learn more about music theory, about engineering, and you know, a couple of years later, you know, then everything just started like going really well. I don't know. So yeah. 
So taking this back to childhood and so did you, you said your mom put you in dance because you couldn't sit still, but were you just an, an overactive child or were you actually interested in dance before you started? I, well, I mean, I was always dancing. And so like, like I was, you know, I was a kid in church where, you know, the, the, the band's going off and I would get in the aisle and start dancing. My mom was like, come sit down, <laughs> you know, and I would start doing James Brown moves or whatever I was looking at, you know, and just mimicking whatever was on TV. And she was like, okay, you know, I'm going to put you in dance because like you need something, you need to do something with all this energy. So that's, that's, that's what it was. I was just always moving, you know, um, I couldn't stop. It was like kind of infectious, you know. And what styles of dance were you studying as a child? All of it. Like I did, you know, tap, modern, ballet, African, hip hop. You know, I, I, I didn't have a choice um, um, because then my other godfather, who's a um, pristine dancer, um, legendary dancer, he forced me to learn every style. He said, you got to learn all of them if you're going to do it. And so, yeah, I was I was doing that every weekend and sometimes throughout the week, just dancing all the time. So what was that like for you as a young Black boy, particularly, growing up in Brownsville and studying ballet and modern dance? You know, it was funny because, you know, at first there's the people make jokes of you, you know, you're having to wear like tights and stuff. And I was definitely going through the phase of that. But I was like, you know, I'm in the, I'm in where my neighborhood, I'm like, I can't be seen wearing none of this. I'm like, I'm not wearing none of that. I ain't wearing none of that, you know? And, you know, I was very rebellious in that. I, I remember my dance teachers used to, used to couldn't stand me because I was be like, I'm not wearing that. I come in there in shorts and some socks and a t-shirt and that's what I'm wearing. Okay. And they, you know, it was that back and forth, but they was, they, they respected the fact that I was, it was my environment that made me that way. It wasn't like I, I didn't like it. It was just that I had to like go home after this, you know? And, and so it was, it was definitely tough, but you know, one thing I used to always say to dudes back then, I was like, you know, they might laugh. But I'm like, your girlfriend's not laughing. Though. <laughs> You know, because girls like guys that can dance. It's just the truth. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was the thing. It was like girls like the fact that I could dance. So guys stopped laughing and started being like, oh, not eight, you know, <laughs> eight, you know, just kind of that kind of stopped around like 13. So you're all about dance. Yeah. Where were you with academics at this age? Was that a heavy focus too? You know, sometimes folks who discovered their artistic ability early everything's about that, not necessarily math, science, you know, English as well. But did you, did you have an affinity for the academic subjects also? Not at all. I was, I, I did, I never wanted to go to school. You know, I, I put my mother, I love my mother to death. My mother um, really, really saw something in me that I don't think I even saw myself. I didn't, I never wanted to go to school. I was never the school kid. I was the kid that I can go to school and I didn't have to, I wouldn't do anything, but I would just know all the answers. Mm. I wouldn't do the, I, I could, I could, I'm, I can pick up because just because of the dance, my memory was really good. And so I could just hear something or just watch something and just like, I got it, you know? And so I never used to do the schoolwork. I never used to do the homework. And, you know, I used to like, I used to like, I used to always be late to school. I just, I never wanted to go, you know, it was like, it was dreadful for me, you know? Um, and 
I almost didn't even graduate high school. You know, mm. that, that was, you know, and that was a, a tough thing, just going through that, you know, and then my brother, who was the academic guy, you know, he was the, he went to Morehouse, he was that guy, you know, and um, he, he had a conversation with me one day and said, like, you know, is this going to be your life? You know, because you got to get through this part in order to go forward. And after that, it just completely changed. I was like an A student <laughs> after that. Like, I graduated with honors after that. So how, wait, how did you go from almost not graduating to actually graduating with honors? Like, that that's a crazy trajectory in I a short know, amount of time. Because, because, like, everything, and my mother always said this to me, like, anything that I wanted to do, the only thing that was stopping me was me, you know? And I didn't want to be in school, so I never felt the need to put initiative into it. And then when I felt like, all right, I want to, I want to get through this. It was like, all right, I was laser focused, you know? And then I had 14 credits when I was a senior, by the time that I was maybe I graduated, like maybe like a couple months after my senior year ended, um, I, I transferred schools because I was old enough to transfer schools. I transferred to a school where I can accumulate all those credits. I went to night school, weekend school, and summer school to be able to do everything in a year. And I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell my mother until I was about around like maybe 35 credits. That's when she knew that I was like, oh, yeah, I transfer schools. She was like, what? <laughs> OK, so based on the little bit that I know about your mom already, yeah. it seems like she's very involved and very engaged. Yeah. So how did you manage to transfer schools and mm-hmm. accumulate all these credits without her realizing so, that all that was happening? I was I was really good at not telling her stuff. <laughs> I was really I was like really good at it. And I used I remember what happened was um, my my stepfather he covered for me. He would say, oh, no, I'll, you know, I would go to the school. My mom like had work because she was like, uh, she was like, a, she has her doctor and everything. And she had, she was really busy at work sometimes. And so he'd be like, oh, I'll go, you know, I'll go to the parent teacher thing. I'll, I'll go. And, but he knew, I, he knew that I transferred, you know, but he knew that I was determined to make it happen. And I, I said, don't tell mom until I, until I get it right. And he didn't. And then when, when she found out, she was, of course, she was upset. She was like, wait, huh? What the, <laughs> you know? And because, you know, I just started bringing her my report cards and I was like, look, I got all A's, you know, she's, I said, oh, that's great. You know? And cause, but at, like I said, I was, I was 18. Cause I had, when I was in fifth grade, I got left back. So mm-hmm. um, I was 18 years old by the time I was a senior. So I could make those decisions myself. And um, I remember her just, she kept asking me like, yo, like what's going on with school? Like, you know, when's your graduation? When's all that? And I was like, well, I said, I'm not going to graduate on time, but I'm going to graduate. And she was like, okay, you know, you're a grown man now. So you got to figure that out. And I was like, you're right. And I did. And she was so proud of me when I got, when I graduated with honors, she was just like very proud of me. Yeah. And I mean, shout out to your mom because most in, in black households, especially when there's an educated black parent, yeah, academia is of utmost importance. And it's like, you need to do the right thing. You need to get it right the first time. You need to graduate. You need to go to school. So, And then think, hearing about your brother, who is a complete academic, Morehouse man, all of that, um, I think it's commendable. right? Some people may say, like, as a mom, how does she not know this was all going on? 
But it's commendable for her to say to you, like, you're a grown man now and you have to figure this out. Like, you got to figure out what your, your plan is. And she must have known inherently that you had the ability no, to she, buckle down and figure and chart a course for yourself. She always knew. She always knew. To, you know, one of the reasons I thank her so much is because there was a moment where she was going to take me out of dance. She was going to say, you can't dance anymore. And she said, I remember, I think, I think one of her friends told that, that she, you know, because I wasn't doing well in school. And she said, if I take that from him, he ain't going to have anything. Mm. And she allowed me to be able to work through it, you know, because she knew I wasn't my brother. And she knew that I was not, she knew that I was artistic, but she knew that, you know, I just had to, I had to want it for myself. And she knew that when that happened, she knew what would happen. And she just kind of trusted God. She always said, I just trusted God. I knew that he going he gonna to take care of you. Because you know? he was, I was, he said, you're a good kid. So I knew that God's going to put you where you need to be. And that's exactly what happened. And good on her for not, looking at your brother, like he's the blueprint. You need to follow the same exact path, which can happen with a lot of younger siblings too. Yeah. She was never like that. She was always just like, he was, he did his thing and I did my thing. And she was just on both edges. She was like, he was the football guy. She was going to football games and she was, I was a dance. She was at the dance recital. She was just handling them both. And she was, she just always wanted us. She said, whatever you're going to do, do it a hundred percent, you know, like, don't like, you know, don't bring me a 90. That's what she always said. Like, you could because you could have got a hundred mm-hmm. by being lazy. That's what she always says. And, you know, that's how we were. You know, that's how we approached everything that we took seriously. So thinking about that also in connection with you having these two godfathers who are masters yeah. of their craft. Um, did you feel inherent pressure to be the best? Like, was there a competitiveness that was driving you because you had all these models of success around you? Yeah. I I had really bad depression and that's, and that was why, you know, I, you know, went through that phase with school because I was like, I felt like I had to live up to my mother and my brother in that aspect. And in the artistic aspect, I felt like I had to be as good as those guys that were teaching me. And it was just really tough. You know, I was just like really, I really struggled with myself mm-hmm. at, in that place because it was just like, I don't, I don't think I can be as good as them and, or I can live up to that. And, you know, once again, my mom, she always said like, I never want you to be the best me. I want you to be the best you, you know, and in whatever capacity that is. And it was, it was those things that kept me. I would, I would say that it was those conversations I had with those older men in my life. Cause I didn't really have my dad in my life. So I had those older men in my life to really kind of just let me figure it out. Just kind of be like, you know, just give me advice and be like, all right, you know, move here, go here like this. But, you know, and I was never afraid to ask. I was never afraid to ask for advice. I always asked. And so um, they just allowed me to work through it and, you know, everyone's different. Everyone, it's not necessarily can be like that, but I guess they just always knew that I was that kind of person where I could, I would figure it out. And once I, once I was like on it, then it was like, I'm on it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, you know, like un, unmatchedly determined, you know, I didn't, I didn't take no for an answer. You know, it even came to colleges. I, when I came time to pick out colleges, my mom wanted me to go to, um, where did she want to go? She wanted me to go to the college in uh, 
Boston. I came in name uh, Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, I don't want to go to Berkeley. You know, I was like, I'm going to go to five towns. I'm going to get a scholarship. She was like, you don't want to apply anywhere else? I was like, nah, I'm going to apply here. I applied to one school. And she was like, I think you should apply other places. I was like, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get a scholarship. And I got in and got a scholarship. And that was really, that's how I was, you know. So what was your area of focus for college? Uh, jazz, commercial music. Um, that's what I went. So like my godfather's probably like, ha ha, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, because he had passed away before, you know, when I was like 14. But he was probably like looking down on me like I knew he was going to scoop a jazz, you know. And so I learned because I wanted to start from the beginning. I wanted to like learn all the things that I need to know to be able to do what I do now. And I went to school for that. And I remember being in school and only going to the music classes. I never went to. <laughs> OK, so now we're back to like pre-buckle down high school. Yeah. And that you're only going to music classes. I only went to music classes because I kept saying I was like the rest of the classes I don't need because I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to be doing that stuff. So I just need to know the music stuff. OK, so take me back, though, because what does it mean to be like a jazz commercial music major? Had you did you have to audition for something or was it really about the business of music? How did that work? I had to audition. So I had to go there and I had to sing um, a classical song and a song in Italian, which was very difficult because I had never sung in Italian before and I never sung classical. So I had to, like, really learn how to do that. And. That's basically what the major is. It teaches you the, the fundamentals of music, jazz, classical, um, singing, operatic, you know, and just kind of learning how to use your voice. You have you have ear training, you have harmony, you have chorus, you have engineering or the engineering classes because they want to teach you how to engineer, how to how to uh, use the boards and stuff like that. So you had to like basically just kind of learn how to be a musician not be a superstar or whatever, because that's, that's a whole separate thing. Like they were basically preparing you. Like you decided one day you want to teach music. You can do that. If you finish the course, you can, you can teach music. So what made you step away from dance? Because I, I would think like you've studied dance since age six. Yeah. And clearly I know you didn't step away from like a professional perspective because you were working in the space in college. But yeah. what made you say, I'm not majoring in that. That's not going to be a focus for me at school. I just, it wasn't. At the time, like I really dance for me was never about the career of it. It was about I needed it as an outlet, you know, to deal with everything that I was dealing with, you know, in my my neighborhood and, you know, mentally, emotionally. And I and I needed to dance. And when it became a thing where dance became stressful because it was so much of it, it stopped being fulfilling. It just started to be like a job and. I just wasn't, I wasn't happy doing it anymore. I was just like, I, I told my, I remember telling my godfather, I was like, I don't think I want to dance anymore. He was like, but you're going to always dance. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, but I don't think I want to dance professionally anymore. And that just, that was, that was a tough thing, you know, even transitioning into music because everybody knew me for dance. And so I'd be like, I have a show. They'd be like, oh, you dancing? What are you dancing at? And I'm like, nah, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm singing. Oh, you sing? You know, know, it was it was really tough. That was really tough. And I knew I had to like in order for in order for people to like know I did music, I had to like just not dance at all. So you never thought I want to be the kind of music star that also dances, particularly because the whole Michael Jackson thing. I always thought I would work into it. You know, at at the time, um, 
I was so much into songwriting and into just kind of being a storyteller in music because I love Stevie Wonder and I love songs that told stories. And so I was so focused on that. You know, I didn't want to, I felt like when you're a dancer, you're an entertainer and people don't, people don't necessarily take what you have to say as seriously when you're an entertainer, you know, and and I always feel like entertainers kind of have this space where they move from being just entertainer to actually saying something in their music. And Michael went through that. Beyonce went through that too, where she tra- transitioned from her music having more meaning than just being like, you know, I'm Beyonce and I'm nice, you know? And so it was, I wanted to go the opposite route. I wanted to have more meaning and then move into, I right, let me show you what I can really do, you know? <laughs> and so, and that's, you'll, be getting a lot of that soon actually so gotcha so you're in school going to the music classes ignoring everything else yeah now i know at a school that's not focused on the arts like you'd be on academic probation pretty quickly but but (laughs) what happened there for you if you were just skipping all the other classes so i was passing all my music classes and like i said like i didn't need to go to english i was very good i was very good at english you know so it was like i didn't need to go to english i was like i'll come in for tests pass the test if i had to do like i was like yo i'll ask my friend i was like yo we have any like papers we gotta write they'd be like yeah we gotta write this i was like yo send it to me um and i was i would just i would write it because i would be in my dorm all the time working on my first mixtape that's what i was doing the entire time uh, you know, meeting producers and talking to them and figuring out how to make this mixtape. And I remember, and then writing songs for people at the same time. So I was like, I would leave school every weekend, come back to New York, write some songs to somebody, come back to school on Sunday night or Monday morning, go to class, you know, you know, leave class, go work on the mixtape, come back to class. You know, I was, that's what I was doing. And I remember, um, my advisor, who was the head of the music department. I was like, I thought it was funny that he happened to be my advisor. I was like, everybody got regular advisors. But my advisor is the head of the music department. I don't know how this happened. And I remember because I had one of his classes. He was like, you're never in my class. And I was like, it's not that I don't want to be in the class. It's just that I know the songs and I know the parts. And I don't need to be here for the rest of it. When well, you got to teach the bass how to sing, they're not going to sing it right. So let me just come when you need me to sing. And he didn't believe me that I knew the songs. And I was like, I just, I knew the songs. So when I came, he was like, oh, you really know the, you know all the parts. And I was like, yeah. You know, so one day he had a conversation with me. I think I played him my, my mixtape after I finished it. And this was like near the end of my first year. And I played it for him. And he goes, you don't need to be here. Mm-hmm. He says, if you want to do music, if you want to be an artist for real, you got to go and do it now. And that was the last day I was at school. I, I I left after that. So the head of the music department told you to leave. Yeah. And what year was this? My first year. Your first year. Yeah. And you walked away. Yep. Did you tell your mom right away? Yep. So where did you go though? Was it like, mom, I'm coming back home? I went home, and my mom. This is when. This is how my mom ends up becoming my business partner. So. uh I go, I didn't even tell her I was going to leave school first. What I did was I go, hey, it was like four in the morning. I was like, hey, wake up and I got to play you something. She was like, it's four o'clock in the morning. And I was like, I just want to play you something real quick. And I played her a song and off the first mixtape. And she goes, who's this? 
And I was like, that's me. And she goes, no, it's not. <laughs> she didn't believe it was me. And I was like, no, this is me. She was like, this is really good. And then so I played some other songs. She was like, this you too? And I was like, yeah. She was like, I said, all right, yeah. You like it? She's like, yeah, I love it. All right, cool. I'm not going back to school. <laughs> I want to do this. And she goes, you sure? And I was like, yeah, you love it? She was like, I do. And I was like, great, because I'm going to need a manager. And she goes, all right, well, I'm going to manage you. <laughs> That's literally how it goes. Wow. And then we just started from there. She didn't know anything about the music industry. I didn't know anything. We just started from scratch. Was- so starting from scratch can look like a lot of different things. Yes. Right? Some people jump right out there and say, I just want to be an indie artist. I'm going to build my own thing. I'm going to master P it and get a distribution deal. Mm-hmm. Others are desperate for a label deal. Yeah. What camp did you fall into? Tony, I call it Tony. I'm going to do business. Tony was, she was, she had a business mindset. And she was like a shark when it came to business. And she was, she would, when she decides to be my manager, she goes, she starts looking at contracts and like, these contracts are terrible. She just starts looking at music industry standards and all this stuff like that. And she goes like, you know, when we, when we go to a label, it's not going to be like this. And so eventually we started having label meetings. Um, of course, because every artist wants to sign to a label, you know, it's like being a, in a major label is like having a stamp of saying like, you're really an artist, you know? Mm-hmm. So every artist wants that and you do it and you go to labels and the labels kind of do that label thing that they do, you know, and, you know, they started giving us deal, offering us deals and the deals were just terrible deals. And we couldn't, I couldn't realistically sign them. My lawyer also at the time was like, you shouldn't sign these. These are not good deals. And Tony was just like, I got, we're going to have to just, we already, we got here already. You know, because, you know, you know, because labels will do this thing where they try to make you feel like you're not doing something right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing something right. I wouldn't be here, <laughs> you know. And so we said, we got here already. Let's 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 keep going. And it just kind of turned into that. I don't think we ever wanted to be indie, but it just ended up being that way because we functioned better on our own. You know? So what year was this that you were going in to have label meetings? This was like 2000. 14. Okay. So 2014, you know, it's not, social media was not what it is now. Cause you know, right now they want to know like, what's your following like online or people, are you already creating a buzz? So were they looking to sign you just off the strength of the quality of the music yeah. at that point? At all, just off the music, you know, that was at the time when you still had to like perform for a label. So you had to do a show and they come and see you. And I remember we did a show and like Rock Nation came and a couple other labels came to watch me. And, you know, the first actually that ended up happening because I don't know, Beehive at Rock Nation saw me at some like random bar I performed that he was like, oh, this guy is like really good. And then the next day he was like, you got to come to Rock Nation and have a meeting. And um, it was just off of that. Spotify wasn't a thing at that time. Mm-hmm. None of those. It, it was really still just music sales and radio, but you had internet, you had MySpace, you had, you know, internet radio, you had the internet. SoundCloud was still a a thing at that time. Um, So it was really just SoundCloud. We had everything on SoundCloud and SoundCloud was the focus. And that was the blog era. So you had to have the press, you had to have all the blogs talking about you. And that was tough because the blogs were working with the labels. And and so it was kind of like, you had to like get around that, which was 
difficult because like they you you could be just as dope. That was something we learned. We could, you could be just as dope as an artist that signed, but because you're not signed, they're not gonna take you as seriously at first. You know, they might not listen to the music. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying like they'll just kind of like write you off immediately. And we went through a lot of that. We went through a lot of that. You know, and we just we just kept going and. We just adjusted every time. You know, Tony was always looking ahead too. You know, I was always looking at technology and where I was going to go. And we would just be like, okay, it's going to move here. All right, we got to start transitioning into this space. And that's just kind of how we did. We had to we had to learn from trial and error, mm-hmm. you know, and just basically figure it out until it started to work. So, what did the financial mechanics look like for you? Because oh, you know, we <laughs> it was yeah, like we all know the struggling artists. Yeah, it was terrible. The whole story. And you've now left school. Are you still performing on the dance side to make money at this point? No, I'm no. not. I was at that time, I think I was definitely doing uh Grubhub and all of that. I was doing all of that. I was doing all of that. And then I was at the same time I was writing songs. And so I would get paid. Like I would like, I would, you know, like someone someone be like, oh, my my friend who's an engineer, be like, oh, someone needs a song written, a hook written. I'm like, all right, I do it for two hundred dollars, and that's how I was. That's how I was making money. Like I was, you know. And then Tony, my mom, she was just like, she invested. She was like, yo, all right. She was like, all right, you know, you know, we got, we gonna do this. We gonna, we gotta take out a loan to the bank. We gonna figure it out. And that's what we were doing. You know, we was just, and it sucked for us. It's, it sucked. It sucked. It was terrible. Okay, I'm also stuck on you, like selling actual written material for a flat fee. Yep, yep that's what I'm <laughs> I know it happens, but that's still crazy. I know. Everyone was like, whoa, bro, what are you doing? I was like, hey man, I gotta I gotta I gotta keep this ship afloat. So and I knew I could write songs. I I that was so, I was so focused on writing songs that I got just really good at writing things. I could write just write and you know, even things that I didn't really like. I was like, oh yeah, I'll get you know so I'm gonna take it. I'm like, okay, great. You know, and then I started doing like sync stuff. And then like I was doing like songs. I think I did a song for like Trevor Jackson um mm-hmm. at the time. And he didn't take it because he it was too high. He couldn't sing it. And um so they ended up syncing it in this movie. And then then I started doing sync stuff. That's just kind of it just things just started kind of happening through trial and error it's just sometimes it's God said nah not here over here you know so right which people who listen to the show regularly know that I always say everything in your life is good or bad is pushing you into the direction that you're supposed to be in I want to give up plenty of times though mm-hmm. of course of course so what kept you going when you wanted to give up I'm, I'm determined you know it was that same mentality I had from when I decided to take school seriously once mm-hmm. I said I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it, and that's just how I am. You know, Tony would Tony would sometimes feel discouraged, you know, because you know her, she had her own struggles as being a manager and then being my mom on top of that, and people not taking her seriously um, because of that. So we 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 wouldn't even say she was my mother. Mm-hmm. We would just be like, oh, you know, we're related, you know, but we wouldn't even say. She was my mom because we wanted her to be taken seriously as a manager. And also being a black woman, dealing with that was just tough as well. It was just, you know, it was it was just a really tough thing. But then she's she always she was just always really good at talking to people, like getting the people that were above the people that would say no. 
she would talk to the person that was their boss and then they would say yes. And so that's how she always did everything. So you go through these struggles, you get into sync. Mm -hmm. When did you feel like though, okay, the momentum is building in a way where I can breathe a little bit easier or have you had that experience yet? You know, the funny part, 2018. Mm -hmm. And we started, I went on tour that year. That was um, the, yeah. And I got, I had got an agent in 2017 and I had my records started like getting more attention. Uh, that was, that was the, the second album. You know, the first album, the press loved it. But, you know, one thing I learned about, you know, like you can get press, but that doesn't necessarily mean like you get fans because fans don't, it doesn't, it doesn't correlate. And so I had all this press. I was like critically acclaimed, all this. And I was like, Nothing's changed. <laughs> it's like everything's the same. And so, you know, we started just approaching things differently. And, you know, my my live show was just really good. That was one of my strongest, ask, you know, uh, strengths at the time. And um, so we were just touring. And I remember we were in Paris. And I think I looked at Tony and I said, uh, Yo, we're in Paris right now, like doing music, you know. Because I, I always told her, I said, I never want to travel until I get to travel for work. So I never traveled. I never went anywhere. Mm-hmm. I never, you know, I just made all those sacrifices at that time. All my friends are doing whatever. And I'm like, nah, I can't. I got to stay here. And we were in Paris. And I think uh, that was the first time when I was just like, we, we, we breathe. But even, even in that, even when it was going good, you know, the way the universe works is that it's just like an ebbs and flow. Mm-hmm. Like it was great. And then it said, <laughs> and it was like, all right, you know, and then, and then COVID hit. And then it was just like, everything was just on hold. And I was hella depressed. I was like, you know, I was just like, I didn't know I couldn't tour. Touring was how we made our money. Shows was how we made a lot of our money. We couldn't do that. And it was just kind of in a very, sucky position but we embraced it you know and I looked at it as a time to evolve mm-hmm. um, personally and as 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 a as an artist you know I took that time and I just I became a better engineer I started I recorded all my music myself and I finished I made Nightwolf I finished I started it like maybe three songs in the beginning of like 2019 in 2018 I finished the entire album in like four months. Mm. This in my in my my little apartment, and just I just became so self sufficient. I was doing all my cover arts. I was doing all my graphics. I was doing. I was coordinating all the the photo shoots. I was. I was. I was just literally. I mean, that's. I just. I was doing. I was a label, you know. And Tony handled all the business. Tony made sure all the contract was right. Tony made sure all the the eyes is crossed and the T's, you know, then sorry, the T's are crossed and the eyes are dotted. She was doing all of that, making sure everything was running. Once I had everything finished, that I can just give it to her and she would just say, All right, let's make sure that we do got that we have this, that we have the we have the ISRC codes, we have all the stuff that we need to have taken care of. But I was I was doing all of that, you know, and it just really made me into like a machine. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, oh man, yeah, I I don't think we, you know, I was like it got to a point where I remember after we finished the album and we had, we had midnight, we, we made, I made midnight during that process. So all that was in 2020. 
you know, um, and I remember we had this whole two year plan after that, you know, once the world opened back up. And I remember saying to my, I remember telling Tony, I was like, I was like, everything that happens after this is going to change our lives. And when the album came out and the first couple, when the first two singles came out and, and then the album came after that, and the Madison Square Garden, it was just like one thing after another. It was just like, man, this is, we never had this kind of response before, you know, from the music, from the fans. It was just really, it was insane. And just, it's just been like that ever since. So how does that, how does like MSG happen? How does, you know, 300, over 300,000 streams in the first week, yeah. How does that happen for an indie artist? Because, and I, and I ask that question because there are folks who are signed, right? Yeah. Who like, it's all this fanfare. So it's the inverse of what you're talking about, where there's all this fanfare, you know, the, the label's pushing this entire marketing strategy and it just like flops out the gate. Like it just doesn't quite work. Yeah. Now you have a situation where you haven't been touring, which we all know for an indie artist, that's the bread and butter, right? Yeah. Uh, because you don't have a full PR team in a whole department mm-hmm. that's dedicated to that. But you dropped this album and then the first week to put up those numbers. Yeah. What do you think? What can you attribute it to? Well, Nightwolf did a million in the first week. And like, yeah. Which is it's crazy for an indie artist. Yeah. And no, 1.5. I did 1.5. And and I remember I remember looking at Tony and um and then it started because I was like, Tony said, we gotta chart this shit. And I was like, well, we're gonna chart. And then it started charting. And I was just like, Oh, like I was like, ah, right, yeah. Let's just keep let's just keep doing this. And um, we one one of the things we focused on, and I I'm very very adamant about. My fans have always been personal to me, so they talk to me a lot mm-hmm. about how the music affects them. And I always told my manager, I said, you know, that's the most important thing. All the other stuff, all the hoopla and the, you know, I'm I'm on this playlist, I'm on that playlist. None of it matters because most of that stuff is just passive listening anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, how do you form a relationship with your fans? Like, the like, how do you first figure out who they are, you know, and then form a relationship with them? And that was the focus. I didn't focus on nothing else outside of that. I was like, I wanted, I wanted everything I did that my fans felt a part of what I was talking about and what I was sharing in the world I was creating. And that was, when we did that, it just completely shifted from trying to like saying, oh, we need to get this great look to what do the fans want me to do? What do they love about me? And in the Madison Square Garden thing, you know, Tony just really good at talking to people. I don't know. (laughs) She's just really, you know, I got asked to be part of this show called The Four. Um, And I turned that down immediately. I was like, I'm not doing those. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. The I'm show, the four. I'm not doing any of those shows. I said no. And um, but the producer, you know, Tony's, you know, Tony's model was if we can't work together now, we'll probably work together later on down the future. So she always kept in contact with him. And then he um, um, he uh, introduced her to the head of A2IM, I think, pretty sure. And then she joined A2IM, the in, uh, American Independent Music Association, and um, she formed a relationship with the head of that per, that uh, situation. And then they said, oh, we have this uh, opportunity um, that Madison Square Garden and Squarespace are doing this thing for the first time, you know, and but you had to be selected. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, I think 
8,000 independent artists and they only selected three and they chose me. And um, I remember the person that chose me, she said, she said, yeah, when we saw you, it was like, this guy is incredible. Like, it was like, he's like, he doesn't move like an independent. They thought I was signed. They was like, he doesn't move like an independent artist. You know, everything is just, everything is together. And it was a no brainer for them. They were just really excited um, to have me on board. And I was it, to do it. And what does that encompass? This, 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 this opportunity you were given? Um, it was, so we had to do a live show interview. And of course we can pay on top of that too, which was for us. We were like, you know, we were just like, yes, <laughs> you know, it was just like, we didn't have any shows. We couldn't tour in 2020. So to have this, it was like this really big event thing that they were doing and sponsoring. It was just, you know, it was like, once again, like God's is saying like, hold on, I got you, you know, mm-hmm. and, we just kind of, there was a lot of things that were being presented to us, you know, and we were just like, nah, it's okay. We're going to you know, take our time on that. And it just happened to kind of all coincide at the same time. And they were just, Madison Square Garden, they were so great. And they, you know, helped market my record. You know, they were just very, like, supportive. And, you know, Squarespace, too. If they raised one to support independent artists. They was like, you know, they don't really a lot of time have a voice. And I was like, you know, I said, well, we're going to change that, you know? Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just great. We're going to probably do something with them again, but um, mm-hmm. we actually trying to work that out. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. You know, I think I, I had like, it was, it was funny. I, and on top of that, I was the only black artist. Wow. So that was another thing. You know, I was the only black artist. I was the only one from Brooklyn. Everybody else was from like other places in New York. And I was the only one from Brooklyn. And I I remember um, saying to myself, I was like, I was like, I told my band, I was like, we're going to crush everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I think our show had the most views um, out of all the shows that they had. Wow. So we had the most views. So, yeah. So recently, Will Smith sat down with Oprah in support of his recently released memoir. And one of the things that they talked about was this need for more, right? Mm-hmm. Every time you reach the next level, it's, well, what's the next thing, mm-hmm. right? You've seen consistent growth in your career and some amazing opportunities come up. Do you still feel, or did you ever feel like this desire and drive to be on the quote unquote main stage, like winning the Grammys? the Rolling Stone covers, all of those things as well. I watched the interview. It was great, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I completely felt that way. But um, my last birthday, um, I remember saying to myself, I'm like, I, I had to remind myself, like, what am I doing it for? You know, and I'm doing it because this, this is what I love to do. You know, whether or not I get the Grammy or I get the thing, it, it didn't matter. You know, I always tell Tony, it doesn't matter if I don't get it. You know, it doesn't matter if I don't get to look. I'm like, you know, when someone told me my song saved their life, I can't really replace that with anything. There's nothing that can replace that feeling. Mm-hmm. And so, and I already know that the odds are against me, you know, so I'm I'm already not even looking for it. You know, if I get it, great. You know, if it happens, cool. But if it doesn't, I'm not going to stop. But, but one thing I, I definitely will say is that, Anytime we think something's not going to happen, it ends up happening somehow. I don't know. It's just, I guess, because we're kind of walk, we're walking in a direction 
And so eventually we reach our destination, whether whether we want to reach it or not, you know. Yeah, and I think sometimes we describe things as like, oh, we didn't think it was going to happen. And it's not necessarily that. Sometimes I think the energy that you give off is actually just releasing it, right? It's just the art of surrender. Like, I'm going to do what I do, Yeah. control the things I can control, and the rest that comes to me is what comes to me. And so it's like you're not actively rejecting that thing or you're not having sending out ne- negative energy. You're just not attaching your worth and happiness to it, which I think is a very important distinction. Exactly. You know, and and I and I that's how I live my life. I, I tell I even tell some of my peers, I was like, I don't live my life trying to act like I'm successful. You know, I just live my life and love what I do and I get successful because of that. And, you know, I don't care if I'm, like I told you, I don't, you know, if you got verified, I was like, that's great. I said, does it make my music better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, no, no. And I was like, exactly. So my focus is on being the best at what I do. Like, if I feel like I can be, if I feel like I can push past the point that I reached in my artistic journey, then I'm going to push past it. You know, if I feel like, okay, I can't go any further, then I'll be all right, you know, let me, let me do something else. <laughs> but if I feel like, oh yeah, I still got room to grow, then I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep growing until I can't anymore. Beyonce is like, Beyonce and Michael Jackson are like prime examples of that, where they just kind of, they never stopped getting better. You know, mm-hmm. so it was kind of kept, all the other things has kind of happened to them, but they were just like, just trying to be better at what they did. And so that's kind of what, that's kind of the way I look at it. So on a related note, thinking about getting, getting better and evolving as an author, as an, as an artist, has your creative process changed at all from project to project? Yes. Um, In what way? I think now, well, now that I kind of like, I had a very specific idea about creating these albums. I had them all planned out from when I was like, you know, 20 years old. I said, I'm going to make these three albums and these like two other like little side projects that are going to kind of tell this complete story. And, and so once I finished that, it was like, all right, well, what do I do now? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, what do I do? What do I say now? I didn't, you know, and, and I had to really just kind of figure out who I was now and the person I am and what that sounds like. And so a lot of the newest stuff that you're going to hear like next year, it doesn't sound like anything else I've done before because it's really just a new space creatively, you know, taking more just like, I remember I, I, I didn't listen to any music for a week. I think no, like a week or two weeks. I didn't listen to anything. I was like, I don't want to listen to anything. I just want to just sit in the studio and just come up with stuff. And so I'm not influenced by anything else. And it was really just kind of kind of going back to the beginning of like where you just kind of open it up and see what happens. It was like really that. It wasn't like this laser, okay, I know I'm gonna make this thing. It was like, I have no idea what I'm about to make, but whatever it is, I hope it comes out good. That's kind of how I am now with it. So you had these three projects planned out, you've seen success with them, like clearly people have embraced them. Yeah. But do you think you've had what I call your songs in the key of life moment. No. Like that project where you're like, this, this is a, ma- it's everything I wanted it to be. It's a masterpiece. Nah, nah. I mean, 
I, I feel that way about Nightwolf. I do. I really. It's it's, a, it's it's because of how it was made. It's because of it represents the change in me as a person, not just as an artist. It represents the change in my career. But I feel like, nah, I haven't made that yet. Like, I don't think I'll. I don't think I'll ever know. I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you. I don't think that I'll know as an artist. I think someone would probably tell me. I mean, but if you ask some of my fans, they're gonna be like, Nightwolf is like a classic. It's the <laughs> best of all time, goaded. And I was like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, I don't know. I never know. I I I just I do think about like, am I gonna wanna play this 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I take so long for me to make albums, because I actually make the records and sit with them for like six months. Mm-hmm. before I put them out because I want to know if I'm still going to like them six months from now. Um, so that's that's always my goal is like to make something that would last longer than me. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears a little bit, describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Okay. So we were doing the Madison Square Garden show. We recorded it. Everything's done. I remember feeling a little funny because I didn't get to hear. I was like, how are they gonna make like how are they gonna mix this audio? Like, how are they gonna do it? And I was a little like, you know, funny about about that when we left. But I was like, you know what, it'll be okay. And so I remember like the day before, the day, you know, two days before my show was supposed to air, they sent me the performance and the audio, and I hated the audio. I hated it. It sounded terrible. I was like, they did not mix this. This was just really just exactly what we recorded, unleveled. It was just, no offense to them, they just didn't mix it. That's just the truth. And I was like, okay, I need Tony. I need them to have them send me everything. The video, the audio, everything. I sat there. I have all my my friend uh, Jay and Demetri, they and my band, they also produced with me. And we sat there, I, we sat there and mixed the entire set mm. ourselves. And then after they left, I was up to like probably four in the morning, syncing it with the video. Okay. <laughs> so that performance that you see, that was everything, the way it sounds and everything, that was us. Like that was this. And I remember saying to myself, Thank God I got my home studio set up because I don't think the, the studios are closed in New York. You couldn't go to the studio to record anything. So I couldn't like take it to a studio. So, you know, I was just so happy that I had my setup and I had everything I need to be able to do it. And I remember saying, I remember I told my friend, it was like, you did what? And I was like, yeah, we did the entire thing in a day. Which is nuts. And also nuts that you had to do that. Uh, considering the brands that you're working with. This is not like Joe's Chicken Shack show down the street. I know, right? And that's what, that's, that. that's, and it was so interesting, but I was like, I told Tony, we were already ready for it. Mm-hmm. We were already ready for this moment because we we knew in our minds we had to always be prepared for anything. And so when it came, it was like, all right, just, just send it to me. We'll, we'll take care of it. <laughs> and then we sent it back. They was like, this is amazing. I was like, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> And it was, you know, that was that was one of those days where it was just like, you know, that's how this industry is. Like, you know, you can never get too comfortable. You never know what's going to happen. Something can go to something can just completely just go left on you. And you got to prepare for every scenario and just have multiple hats 
to be able to deal with it. And I think that was one of the reasons why I've been able to consistently keep going is because I'm not just a songwriter. I'm not just an artist. I'm an engineer. I'm a producer. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a videographer. I'm a, you know, I've had to do all these things that now a crisis happens. I'm like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. I got it. <laughs> you know, I could take care of it. No, no, no. I'll, I'll call it. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll edit it, you know? And it's just, it kind of, you know, one, it keeps costs very low. And two, it's just kind of just always gives me a hands-on approach and it makes it more personal to the fan. So for sure. So even though you're the self-contained entity, really, in terms of your output and what you can produce in a lot of different arenas, what's your dream or who's your dream collaboration? It could be across any field from from cinematography to production to music, oh, that's actual a, like another artist. That's a that's a I could give you an answer for each one of those things. So do it. Give me an answer for each one. Um, I've always wanted to work with Quentin Tarantino. Mm. He's one of my favorite directors. Him and Tim Burton, one of my favorite directors, two of my favorite directors ever. Um, I've always wanted to work with them. As far as, um, I've always wanted to uh, make a home. I want to make an entire home for uh, uh, Heidi Slimane. I always wanted to make a home for him. I don't know why. I just wanted mm-hmm. to. Um, and music, that list is long. I mean, there are a lot of amazing people that I look up to, uh, Tam and Paula, uh, Kanye musically. Uh, I love John Mayer. I've always been a big John Mayer fan. Um, I wanted to work with Michael and Prince, but they, you know, they, they passed away, unfortunately. Stevie Wonder. I, I, I secretly in my mind and I'm trying to figure out a way to audition for Silk Sonic. I'm trying to figure this out. <laughs> I keep sliding in the, in the DMs and I'm like, yo, let me, let me just, let me sing some like high harmonies or something. Let me just, that would be fun. Are me. you really sliding in DMs or was that a joke? I really slid in they, yo, if they see this interview, please answer my DM, Silk Sonic. I'm in your DM. I'm trying to audition. Just give me a shot, you know? <laughs> I got the steps. I I trust me. I got the steps. So, you know, and I could do the singing. That's not a, even an issue. So just let me do something. I got the hair for it and everything. Just let me. I was about to say, you definitely have the sound. You definitely have the look. I, I got to see if it's some old dance videos or something on YouTube. I love them. I love, I love, I love that. I love that combination. Bruno's amazing. Anderson's amazing. I love it. It's amazing. I was like, every time I listen to it, I'm like, man, this is just, it's so good. You know, and it just really makes me love music again, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but this, this so many. I, I love some of the newer guys. I love like, you know, Baby Keem is fire. Uh, Kendrick, uh, uh, Big Sean. I like Big Sean a lot too. Um, J. Cole. This, this, there's a lot. There's a mm-hmm. lot of artists I would love to work with. Um, even some artists that are like, you know, less, you know, not my, you know, Corinne Bailey Ray. I always want to work with her. I love a lot of the uh, English artists, Jai Paul. Uh, ben Khan, a lot of those guys. They, this uh, Mahalia, uh, Mahalia. I'm not sure if I say her name right. Mahalia, Mahalia. There, there's so many that I would mm-hmm. love. You know, and and I always say when when the time is right, it will happen. I never force those things. So absolutely, it's it's got to be organic for sure. So, what does leveling up look like for you in the next phase of your career? That can mean many things, but what does it mean for you? Um, I want to be a better musician you know um 
I can play like a little bit of piano and guitar, but I want to be like better at that. You know, I want to really be able to like, if I don't have them around, I can just play it myself. And so that's, that's the next like step for me as an artist to be able to just be a better musician. You know, I just feel like it would just make me a better, my ear better, just my approach different, you know, it's just, I just want to be better at that. You know, I think I always kind of laxed at that because I didn't need it, but now I just like, I want it. I just want to be able to, to have that. That's another toolkit, you know? So listen, I'm excited. I'm excited for this next phase for you. Um, I think all the things you're not necessarily concerned about, I, I deeply believe that they're coming, even though it's not your focus. Uh, I, I, you mark my words. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell Tony, I said, Tony, I was like, yo, listen, it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. Because <laughs> she was like, ah, oh, I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I'm telling you, man. Like, we got this. You got this? I got, we got this. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, see, see, you know, and it, one thing I've learned is if you speak it, you're going to walk towards it. So that's how, that's kind of how life goes, you know? Absolutely. So um, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Same. <laughs> and tell the people where they can find you online. Um, you can find me at adriandanielmusic.com. Um, all my socials are there, but if you, you know, don't want to do that, um, Agent Daniel Official on Instagram, Agent Daniel BK on Twitter, um, Agent Daniel Official on Facebook, Agent Daniel Music on TikTok, which I, apparently I'm going viral on there right now, which is interesting, but I'm on there too, you know. I I don't I still don't understand it so well, but I'm learning. Me either. <laughs> I'm learning. Um, and yeah, just I'm I'm everywhere. So you just type my name in. You can Google. I always say I tell you you can Google me now. It's a Wikipedia page there for me. So if you need to know about me. It's there. You know. So yeah, I don't know. You can find me. Just type my name in. Listen, me. I peeped the I peeped the Wikipedia. Uh, it oh, was there. Oh, I was definitely, I was definitely like, I was like, oh, you can't tell me nothing now. I was like, I was like, oh, you can't tell me nothing. I remember, I think, I think I sent, I think I, I'm pretty sure I sent us the link to my advisor from my first high school um, because he didn't believe in me at all. I think I sent that to him just to be like, hey, check this out. So yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. So I'll be watching from the sidelines to see how things unfold for you, particularly as the world is now opening back up yeah. uh, and folks are getting back out there and touring and, and you've you've had some amazing things happen over the course of this pandemic. Um, so I'm going to be cheering you on for sure and be like, I knew him back when Midnight came out. <laughs> <laughs> so to our listeners, you know the drill. If you've enjoyed this episode, tell somebody about it. Go ahead and stream Adrian's projects. They're out there. You know where to find them. It's on all the music platforms. Midnight out now. Check out Nightwolf and his prior two projects as well. And listen, we can't do this show without you. So if you've enjoyed this episode, not only don't not only just passing it on, that's not just the only thing we want you to do. Tell somebody else about the other episodes as well. Pub it on your social media. You know, indie artists all about the fans it's all about the listeners if you've enjoyed or you you will enjoy the project i'm sure once you get a chance to listen tell somebody about it as well and as always remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day take care 
Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.